Hey, this is Vikram Panchal from the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm so thrilled you could be joining me today. So buckle up your seatbelt and get ready for some fresh, actionable content coming your way right now. Hey, welcome to this month's podcast on Lead Your Life. I'm so excited to have you and we have a very, very special guest with us today. We're going to be talking about leading with love and how you can do that better in your home, in your work environment, and in every facet of your life. And so I'm very honored to have a good friend of mine. His name is Graeme Christian. Graeme, welcome to our podcast on Lead Your Life. It's so good to be with you, Vikram, and thank you for the invitation. I I very much appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk with you. Thank you, Graeme. I'm really honored as well. I just wanted to find out a little bit more for our listeners. Give us a general scope of uh, the kind of work you're doing, because obviously this is going to tie into our topic for today and why I personally believe you qualify to talk about leading with love. Sure. Uh, Well, first and foremost, I'm a minister of religion, so I'm a pastor. But um, the role that I have right now is I have been asked to be been asked to be the president of the Victorian Conference of the Seventh Day Adventist Church, which is kind of like being the lead pastor for for the church in Victoria. That's pretty incredible. So that's a pretty big scope. I mean, how many pastors are you looking at? We've got eighty something. That's a huge responsibility. So I know your role encompasses so many things, uh, not just caring for the ministers or the pastors in this uh, conference in Victoria here, uh, but there's so many other things that you're looking after. And uh, we're going to be diving into that. Maybe that might come up a little bit later on in our conversation today. But like I said, our focus right now is how do we actually lead more effectively through love as uh, the core foundation of everything we do in this life? And so, you know, one of the things I was reflecting on in this topic was maybe the most vital quality we can develop in any relationship is trust. You know, if you have trust, you have a good, sound, healthy relationship. But the moment trust breaks down, that relationship is lost. And that's key to forming new relationships, leading a team of people, uh, negotiating with others successfully, whether it's your spouse, your children, uh, your colleagues at work. Trust is really, really vital. And trust, I believe, is formed by truly learning to love other people. And oftentimes we talk about trust, but we don't really realize that we won't trust someone until we realize that they actually genuinely have our best interest at heart. And another word for that is love. And so I just wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on on this topic so far? Yes, Vikram, I agree with you. Um, Trust is absolutely vital in terms of leadership and relationships. You can't force trust. You know how sometimes if something is happening, somebody will say, trust me. Did you ever really trust them after they said that? Many times the answer would be no. Uh, I'm, I'm not so sure about wanting to trust someone simply because they tell me, trust me. It seems to me that trust is based on what's happened before. And it takes time to build and earn trust. Uh, you, you don't expect too much of it too soon because it's not going to happen. It takes time to build trust. It's based on the way I've been treated before. And trust is, is based on consistency for leaders and the same in relationships. If somebody is consistently reliable, then I know how to trust them. If somebody is affirming, they're building the relationship. 
If they're consistent and true to their word and follow through with action, not just talk, not just say, oh, yes, and all the right things, but nothing actually happens, then that doesn't build trust. But when people are reliable, we trust them because they're there for us in the good times and the bad times. Uh, when people have integrity and honesty and speak the truth in love, uh, they build people up with their honesty and, and they do it honestly. I think authenticity builds trust. Now, I've used a number of different words here, uh, Vikram, like, you know, consistency and reliability and integrity and honesty and authenticity. I guess they're other words for love, in a sense. And uh, when it comes to leadership or relationships, these things are vital as key ingredients uh, for a loving relationship. And another area, I think, that really comes into this is emotional intelligence, you know, being able to acknowledge feelings and learning the lessons of life and being proactive. Uh, these things build trust. And I think we also build trust through vulnerability. Trust is built when someone has the opportunity to hurt us but they actually don't. Instead, they build us up. Trust is built when a leader or a friend or a colleague or mum or dad or brother or sister, when they stick up for us, when it would have been easier for them to let us down. It seems to me that we don't trust people much who are self-promoting or the ones who are always right in their own eyes and telling everybody else about it. But on the other hand, if we're willing to admit mistakes and willing to apologise when we should, it seems to me that these are aspects of love that do build trust. And for instance, there's actually a verse in the Bible that talks about these things. And it's in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and verse 23, where it says the Holy Spirit produced this kind of fruit in our lives. Love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. And so these are the things that build trust, and they are really growing out of love, because all of those fruits of the Spirit really could be summed up with one word, and that is love. Now, by comparison, when you, you look at the other things that the Apostle Paul wrote about in the book of Galatians, he talks about the desires of the sinful nature, um, things like hostility and quarrelling and jealousy and outbursts of anger and selfish ambition and dissension and division and envy. And there are a few others that he talks about as well. But when you compare those things to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, there's just no comparison. And so it seems to me that these are the things that, yes, they are, they describe love, and these are the things that build trust as well. That's an incredible answer. I feel like we're just in the first eight minutes and you've covered so much ground already. I, that's a phenomenal answer. I wasn't expecting that at all. 
But you, you've been talking about winning trust with love, and uh, that is so true. And I've actually experienced that firsthand directly from your leadership. And that's why I thought you were the right person for me to conduct this interview with. But I want to just go a little bit back and uh, find out what makes you the kind of person that you are right now at this point of time in your life. Because I personally have experienced that you you have one trust uh, for, for your colleagues, uh, for the pastors that you oversee, and it's been it's been remarkable to see how you do that. But you know, what are some of the experiences you've had along the way in life that have taught you this vital skill? Are there some key moments that maybe you felt like you were heading towards the list you were describing in the book of Galatians that maybe is not the right kind of list? And were there things that corrected you along the way that really taught you what true love is and why you wanted to actually learn to lead with love better. Have you just been a natural at this from the day you were born, or were there things that shaped you along the journey of your life? Oh, look, of course, um, Vikram, there are many, many things that have shaped me along the journey. And um, look, I, I remember when I was a teenager, and uh, my, my father did not want me to go ice skating. And he, he considered that that would be the wrong thing for me to do. And so he just said to me, you're not going ice skating. That's it. Now, I, this was one of the few opportunities that I had to get together with some friends. And I lived in the country. There weren't a lot of people that I connected with, but I was with friends um, of like-minded people. And, and we wanted to go ice skating. When my dad said that to me, you're not going ice skating, I thought, hmm, I, I think I will go ice skating. I will show him that I have the freedom to choose and I'm going to go ice skating. That was the decision I made right then and there. And uh, I did. I went ice skating every day for that week or 10 days that, that we were there. The, the, uh, but the other thing that happened between when my dad had that conversation, and it wasn't a heated argument or anything like that, it was just him telling me, just telling, this is what you must do. Well, my mum heard the conversation and she came to me and she said, Graham, ever since you were little, you have known the difference between right and wrong. Your dad thinks this is wrong. But he's never been there. Would it be okay if I came with you? In fact, let me take you and your friends in the car. We had to walk a long way to get to the ice skating rink. She said, let me take you in the car and we can go together and I'll come and see what you're doing. That was a, a significant point in my life because I was not against my dad. I wasn't a rebel. I wasn't a teenager who was just doing everything that my dad said not to do. But on this particular one, it was the way that he had chosen to stop me by just telling me, you must not do this. Why? Because he said. There was really no other good reason, just because he had decided that it wouldn't be better if I didn't go. That conversation, the difference between my dad's just telling approach and my mother's listening and believing in me and affirming that I had the right to choose and that I knew the difference between right and wrong and that she would respect the choice that I made. 
and say, yes, I went ice skating every day for, for that period while we were there and I had the opportunity. And I didn't go again for many, many years out of respect for my mother and my father. And that was one of those times that really was a learning experience for me um, about the difference between, I guess, an autocratic style of leadership and a trusting style of leadership where my mother said, I trust you effectively because trust begets trust. That is so powerful in what you have just shared there. I'm still thinking about uh, your one of your major experiences that helped you to understand what trust is really about. And I like how you said trust begets trust. And I'm sure maybe you've been applying this subconsciously or consciously, I'm not sure, in your own leadership. But I have actually personally experienced how you will always affirm the pastors that you're leading. And at first, I was taken a bit aback by this when you uh, first began your current role as a conference president. And uh, I'm sure a lot of us were probably not living up to the values or maybe the ideals. I, I don't know. Uh, but maybe we weren't. And But the way you were speaking to us, you believed in each and every one of us. And I remember people just kind of stopped still and were just engaged because they wanted someone who would actually believe in them inspire them and trust them to go to the next level. And that was never forced on anyone. You were working very patiently with people. And slowly but surely, I start to see a turnaround, not just in myself, but in the entire conference in which you're managing. And I felt that it was clearly linked to the very beautiful leadership that you have displayed and exemplified. And so, you know, just going back to this question, I guess you've mentioned your mom before and uh, how she helped you to understand about learning about trust and leading with love. But uh, do you have any role models that you looked up to while you were growing up and said, you know what, uh, this is what leadership is all about. And uh, this is the person I can try and emulate when I become a leader, when I have a chance to lead someone. Look, there, there certainly have been. I've mentioned both my mom and my dad, and both of them were, were great role models for me in many, many ways. But look, once I actually started out in ministry, there, there was a pastor that I, I remember. I worked with him in a, a whole variety of ways. Um, we ran seminars together, seminars for the public and for people from the church about relationships, about building relationships. It, there was a whole module about trust in that workshop. And uh, I was learning from him because I'd never done it before, but he was willing to go out of his way. He didn't have to. It was not his responsibility, but simply because we were interested in learning about relationships and growing in this area, he wanted to grow us and he wanted to, to help us. The thing that really stood out as I think about that, that man, he believed in me. Even when I doubted myself, he built me up in the eyes of others. He shared his resources with me freely to make me look good, to make me look better than I knew I was. He was always there for me, always available. He was consistent. He was reliable. He was fun and he was successful. And he worked really hard to help me to be the same. Now, that's one of the ones who I consider to be a role model. Uh, more recently, since I've come into the role that I have now, 
I, I had immediately two people who were friends of mine. They were older men than, than what I am. Both of them had been presidents, and I had worked closely with both of them. And I'd built a good relationship with them, and uh, I could pick up the phone any time. In fact, just um, this week, I've spent time on the phone with one of them, just talking through some things. And I can just talk with them, ask them for wisdom, ask them to pray with me. They are great role models, and uh, I really value that opportunity of having people like that in my life. The reality is there's more than one. It's not just one. There are numerous people that I have learned from and that I turn to even yet, depending on what, the, what it is that I'm dealing with and what I'm needing information about or wisdom about or strength or courage or whatever the case may be. And yeah, I would have probably half a dozen people that I can just pick up the phone and ring any one of them about various things. Maybe it's more than that, but it would be, it'd be the absolute minimum of people that I turn to and I look to. I look up to them because yeah, they do make a difference in my life and who I am. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, when you came into your role, I, I clearly remember and uh, you had to make uh, kind of like a speech. I don't know if that was required of you or if it's just something you desired to share uh, with the people who elected you to become the conference president uh, here in Victoria. And uh, I remember one of the first things you said that was also alarming for me was that this was not a role you were looking out for. It's not something you were really seeking for. It's something that just came your way. And when you inherited this role, uh, the conference was going through a number of different uh, challenges and issues, and even you didn't know exactly what you were getting yourself into. And I remember even once you were sharing that if you had known uh, the nature of the role you had inherited with the challenges and everything, maybe you might have reconsidered, which was also a big shock to me. So basically, you've, you've said a number of things that have shocked me in, in a good way, because you've made yourself very, very vulnerable and very honest. Now, when you came into your role, I just wanted to ask you something I've always wanted to ask you, and, uh, and that's this. You had a blank canvas in front of you. You didn't know a lot of people going into your role. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But nevertheless, you had an opportunity, and that role that you inherited could have gone in one direction or could have gone in a very different direction. could have been positive. It could have been negative. But over the last few years, it's gone in a very, very positive trend. So when you came into this role, what were some of your priorities in trying to build trust with the people who you're working with and uh, also in uh, dealing with some of those challenges that you were encountering? Great question, Vikram. Um, look, the first thing that I chose to do was to read. I'd been told about some of the challenges that the church in Victoria was facing at the time, and yes, there were some financial challenges. Um, there were other challenges as well. And I guess to be effective in the mission that Jesus gave us is really our biggest challenge. And uh, so I chose to read. There were a couple of books that really stand out. There were more books than, than these two that I, I will share with you um, that I read. But, but one of them was called Crucial Conversations. Uh, it's a book that just goes through and gives a lot of information about how to communicate with others and how to do it effectively with a view to achieving positive outcomes. 
The other book that I that I um, chose to read, and I actually bought uh, numerous copies of this book and gave them to many people in the team that I work with to and ask them to read it. And I said to them, this book will tell you about the culture that I want to develop within our conference, within the church in Victoria. The, the name of the book is Love Works, Seven Timeless Principles for Effective Leaders. It's written by Joel Manby. You might have heard of Undercover Boss, and uh, yeah, he's featured on Undercover Boss. It's a book that I found was was just absolutely amazing, and it's really talking about, it's telling the story of, uh, and it's a little while since I read it now, but it's telling the story of a business that survived some of some incredibly difficult times when other businesses were going under with the global financial crisis of 2008, but this business didn't go under. It thrived. It just really did very, very well. And uh, this book is based on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is known as the love chapter. This is the chapter in the Bible where quotations are taken from there and and used at wedding services when people want to talk about love. This is the chapter that that describes love in in so many ways. And so he's talking in this book about patience, having self-control in difficult situations, about kindness, showing encouragement and enthusiasm, and trust, placing confidence in somebody or trusting the other person, and being unselfish. Um, think of yourself less and think of others and do things for them. And being truthful, defining reality according to uh, a corporate way and as well as individually. And then um, being forgiving and being dedicated to stick to your values in all circumstances. And uh, it's a story that is is really worth reading. Uh, and Look, I don't know, I don't think I've achieved all that, that the story, you know, the way that it's told, they achieved things that, that I haven't been able to achieve. But in terms of building a culture of based on love and based on trust or trust that grows out of love, that book really was one of the guiding lights for me in the early days of being in the role that I've I've. I currently am in. And uh, yes, every person I gave it to um, said, yep, we get it. And uh, look, as we have new people come and join our team, I give them another copy of it because I still have a few. And I, I just say, we're not perfect, but this is the way we want it to be. Things like are described in that book, that's how we want to operate. I think it's an excellent answer that you've given. Uh, one thing I wanted to probe you on, and by the way, I did receive that book, so you have given me a copy of that book. I've got it on my bookshelf and uh, had a chance to glance through it uh, briefly in the past. But uh, from what I've read so far, it is an incredible book. And I didn't actually know that this was uh, what you had in mind in terms of establishing the kind of culture uh, within our conference. But it makes sense based on what you've shared so far. 
the question I had for you, however, Graham, is that it's one thing to say understand the theory behind the book, or even say First Corinthians chapter thirteen and what the Bible says about love. It's another thing to actually uh, lead by example. You know, those are two different things. Uh, we can talk about it and uh, express that this is what we desire as an outcome or a goal to strive for. It's another thing to actually live it and to teach it silently by example. And I believe you've actually done that. So I, I don't know if you are in, in a position where you're able to reflect back on your experience so far and, and be able to say that these are some of the things that you had to intentionally do to model to others the kind of culture you want uh, developed within the Victorian Conference. Look, one of the things that stands out for me is something that I learned in a seminar uh, a number of years ago, and that is there's no growth without affirmation. And so if we find somebody, for instance, at home when our kids were little, if we had picked up on bad behaviour or behaviour that I, we did not want to see again and we focused on that, that in itself is an affirmation of that behaviour. Alternatively, if we were to catch them being good and affirm them for the, the things that we really appreciated and the values and the, the building the culture of our home in a positive way, that also was affirmation. So I, many years ago, chose to affirm things that are positive and affirm things that are building a relationship or building a culture that we want to see. So, yeah, look, that was something that uh, was intentional, I guess, in the early days there. And that's something that I've been working on for, for many years. I don't know if you've seen, there's a book about five love languages. And one of my kids said to me, uh, Dad, we know your love language. It's the language of affirmation, um, speaking well of others. And I said, really? And they said, mm-hmm, we see it in you. And I said, that's not actually my, my first love language. That's something that I have learned because I learned in a seminar there's no growth without affirmation. And so I say, right, let me be affirming of people. Let me, let me build them up. Let me look for the best in them. Let me believe in them. Let me talk them up. I, I would much prefer when I have to give a report, and I, I have to give reports on a regular basis about what's happening in the church in Victoria. Uh, I have to give it to our committees, to other committees, to people who I answer to. But I don't want to tell them what I've been doing. I want to tell them what our team has been doing. I don't want to talk myself up. I want to talk them up. Another choice that I made, and I'm not perfect, I'm still working on this one, never say anything bad about anyone. Because if I do that, I'm just bringing them down. Why not build them up so that we can do our best together? And uh, another thing that I learned is don't try to build myself up by pulling others down and I do see that happen sometimes and it, I don't find that helpful because it's much better to be building others up 
and and standing back. And it's amazing what gets done when nobody worries about who gets the credit. And so if I can give credit to others, they're happy, I'm happy. And and look, one of the other things that I've got to say is when I started out in in the role that I have, with the challenges that came my way, and there was a, a steep learning curve for me, a huge, hugely steep learning curve. And one of the biggest things that, um, and maybe I should have mentioned this first, um, was just to be able to tell God about what's going on and ask him to resolve the things um, that needed to be resolved. And yes, um, I'd do a day's work at the office. Um, I would start the day two or three hours before that I'd go and do a day's work at the office and come home and do a number of hours work in the evening just to try to get my head around everything that I needed to know. And then I'd go to bed and sleep for a bit. And it was like, almost like God would wake me and like we had an appointment in the middle of the night. And uh, yeah, it could be two or three hours where I was just talking with him and just saying to him, God, these are the things that are going on. Now, let me hand that over to you and let you deal with that. Now, let me focus my mind on you. You, you mentioned earlier um, when I, the speech that I was asked to make um, just after they had voted me in as, as president, and um, you remembered some things that I'd said, but there were two promises that I made. One of those promises was that I would endeavour to provide spiritual leadership, which is really seeking where does God want us to go and let's do things God's way and let him work through us. Um, we're only human, we're imperfect, but to the extent we can just open ourselves to let him work through us. And so that was what I, I pledged to do. And the second thing was to stay mission-focused and mission-driven. And we've set out to do those things. So they are some of the guiding um, principles that, in terms of how we treat others. And you've probably picked up that a lot of what I've shared has to do with how we treat people. Can I tell you a, a little story from our family, Vikram? I don't know if you've ever had it or experienced it, but sometimes kids like to point out the faults of others. When our kids were small, this was a bit of an issue. And so we started a family ritual, and I'm going to try to describe this to you in a way that it will make sense. You might have to think about it a little bit to be able to actually make it happen. There were five of us in the family, so it worked. With any, any less than five, maybe you'll do it with four, but um, a bigger group is better. And so we made a circle for, for prayer after family worship in the mornings. And because I knew that sometimes the kids would look at each other uh, with a critical attitude, we would ask the, each one to put their right hand into the circle with their palms down and their thumb sticking out. And then we would ask them to reach in and grasp the thumb of the person to their right with the fingers, with their fingers. And when everyone had done that, we had a very tight circle with our hands grasping each other's thumbs. And then I would say this, God's love is like a circle. It never ends. 
our family's love is growing to be like that. So I want you to look for the best in each other. Don't tell family secrets. Stick up for each other. And if you can't do that, I hope your thumbs drop off. Well, the kids heard that every morning before they went to school. We'd laugh a little bit and then we'd pray together and go on with our day. And I need to say, it did change things for in our family for the better. I really appreciate our family. We've got wonderful kids, wonderful grandchildren, and um, thankfully good relationships with, with each of them. And uh, I think some of these things that I'd picked up from seminars way back have made a difference, not only in what I do now, but in, my, in our family. And I guess in reality, they're things that I've been working on and praying about and trying to find ways to grow to be more healthy because, yeah, I, I had a lot of growing to do and I still do. Thank you, Graham. That is such a beautiful answer. And, you know, I've got two small kids as well. One is three years old at the time of this recording. One is uh, just over one year old. And so um, definitely when they get older, I'm definitely going to implement the thing that you did with your own kids when they were a bit older. So I think that's a fantastic idea and it makes it fun too. You know, I just want to also reflect on uh, some of the personal experiences I've had under your leadership. And uh, these are just silent ways that you have demonstrated love in action. And uh, one of the highlights for me is uh, every single year during Easter time, all the pastors will go away to a very remote area. And it can be very, very hot, you know, during that time. And uh, we have to wake up early in the morning. And uh, all of us go out uh, with our hammers and different tools and equipment. And we have to set up an entire campsite. Uh, for all the members within the entire Victorian conference, you know, who come and uh, enjoy these uh, few days during Easter time over the weekend. You know, during this time, I've noticed that you are there from the beginning right through to the end of the setup. You know, you don't shirk duties. You won't go away and say, sorry, I've got an important meeting. I've got a phone call to make. From the morning until the time that we finish up, you're there with us and it's all hands on deck. You're banging the nails into the ground, you're setting up tents, you're doing all the hard yards that all of us are doing, you're sharing the meals with us. Uh, that's one of the ways that I've actually thought, looked back and thought, this is great leadership because you don't just expect us to do something that you're not doing yourself, you're actually there with us in the trenches and uh, taking on the very same responsibilities we are to come close to us. And uh, I just wanted to ask you, why do you do this? And uh, what does it actually mean to you when you're actually involved in, in the setup of, of this campsite that takes place every year? Yeah, Vikram, I'm just one of the team. Yeah, I've been asked to serve as the president, but that doesn't make me better than anyone else. And it doesn't make me special. I'm, I'm just, I'm first and foremost a pastor, just as you are a pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the team. I'm not above manual work and um, I'm not above doing the tough stuff or the rough stuff. We all do our bit. And so I guess that's the way I grew up and that's the way I like to be. That's amazing. And, you know, I just wanted to also share that some of the other ways I've seen you demonstrate love in action and leading with love is that you will take intentional time to publicly uh, affirm everybody in a room 
but you'll also privately acknowledge people as well in conversations with them. And whether it's through an email, whether it's through a phone call, or even if you're not the one making the phone call, if someone is calling you, for example, myself, you will take that time to really appreciate them and let them know that you value them. And so a lot of people could be busy because you're a busy person. There's a lot of things on your plate and people can be sidelined, but you haven't really let that happen to you. And I, I really, really respect that. And it's something I've learned from you as well. Another thing is that you don't find yourself uh, above other people with all the issues and challenges you're currently facing or you may have experienced in the past, but you make yourself very, very vulnerable. Um, sometimes I've even been surprised by some of the things you've been so candid about in meetings with other pastors. And those are things that I appreciate because it makes you a human being. It makes us realize that you're not just a president, um, you're actually willing to relate to us and help us to see some of the challenges we may be going through, but we may be too afraid to speak about. And because you make yourself vulnerable, it actually makes it much easier for us. Graham, I wanted to ask you an honest question. I mean, there's going to be people that we encounter, and I appreciate that you mentioned that we should never talk evil of anyone. I totally agree with you on that. It's hard sometimes to practice that. What about in situations where people may have genuinely hurt you or maybe mistreated you or even spoken ill about you behind your back? Uh, how do you deal with those kind of difficult situations where for most people, I have to say, it's not always easy to lead with love in action because our natural instinct is probably to retaliate and do to them what they've done to us. And so when you sp speak about affirmation and only focusing on the positive things that people have done, you know, how, how do you put those principles in action, especially when you're mistreated? It depends. Uh, what, what, I, what I like to be able to do is to, to listen. So I'm telling you what I set out to do, and I know that I don't get it right every time. Um, I'm human. I have emotions, I have feelings, I, I, and, you know, I have to work with that. But what I set out to do is to listen and to understand. And one of the questions that I ask myself is, what have I done to contribute to this situation? Now, they may think I've done things that I don't think I've done, but what have I actually done that is contributing to this? And if they think that I have done those things, well, that's their perception. And so perceptions are their reality. Their perceptions are everything in, in a sense. And so I want to listen. I want to understand. I want to reflect back to them to make sure that they know that they've been heard. And um, there are times when I may apologize. Somebody said, um, you know, if there's a disagreement, who should apologize? And the answer they gave was the one who is more mature. Um, I'm not saying I'm more mature than others, but I would like to think that I can apologize sometimes even if I don't think I've done anything wrong. But somebody's been hurt or somebody's not happy. And so let's work together and uh, identify these are the things that are hurtful to you. These are the things you're not happy about. And uh, what would it take to, to fix that? Is there something that I can do? And so this is what I set out to do. Uh, as I said, I'm not perfect by any means at all. But the other thing that 
that will happen for me often is if somebody has said some things that I need to go away and think about is, uh, and I may not have said what I needed to say or I may not have said it well, um, I'll, I'll go away and I'll pray and I'll say, God, please help me to understand. And then the other prayer that has been answered for me again and again when I sense I need to have another conversation with this person. Um, I'll, I'll say, God, please give me an opportunity to say what I need to say to be able to build them up. Basically, you know, there's a saying, hurt people, hurt people. So if somebody is setting out to hurt me or to be critical of me, in some way they are hurting. Have I contributed to that? I hope not, but maybe I did inadvertently or in whatever way it was. But, you know, I once heard a leader say, a leader I respect highly, and he said, every person has a radar on their head and it is continually searching for information about a major question that each person is asking themselves. And that question, am I good enough? So people need affirmation. They can do their best when others believe in them and build them up. And even when there's, there's um, criticism or conflict, those things are still true. And so, um, yeah, we set out to, to do that because I think the challenges of life and ministry are bigger than I am. And so we take these things to God as a matter of prayer. You know, I'm going to have to listen to this podcast over and over again because there's so much profound wisdom you've shared in the short time you've had together. Uh, you've distilled everything so, so clearly, and uh, it's going to take time to unpack a lot of the concepts you've shared, but you shared some dynamite information tonight, and it's been so beneficial to me, and I'm sure it's going to be beneficial to everyone who listens to this podcast. I want to thank you for your time, but just wanted to ask you, is there one piece of advice or general advice you may be having for leaders who are listening to this podcast? Do you want to leave uh, with a final note? Yeah, look, thank you, Vikram. Um, and in terms of leaders, leader, parents are leaders. Most of us have a leadership role of, of some kind, whether in the family or at work or, or wherever it is. So a couple of things that I would say is always be open to God's input into your life and leadership and expect your team to be great. The people you work with, whoever it is, whether it's family, believe in them. Look for the best in them. It's there. And remember, it's the Holy Spirit that produces the kind of fruit that we want in our lives, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So let's look to God for those things and be kind to your team. Well, Graham, this is what we have time for today. Thank you once again for joining me on Lead Your Life and teaching us about how to lead with love because, like I said, I've experienced it firsthand directly from your leadership and I couldn't think of a better leader to learn from in uh, my journey as a minister and uh, learning to be a leader like you, like you have been. And I want to thank you for everything that you have done and continue to do through your example. And uh, for all of those who are listening to this podcast, I know you've been blessed by Graham's wisdom 
wisdom that he shared with us today. And I just want to encourage you and inspire you to listen to this podcast over and again if you need to, to take away the counsel that we have received and to be able to apply it to your home, to your kids, in your work environment, to believe in the people that you lead. Because as you believe in them, you will continue to inspire them to achieve far greater things than you could have imagined. Well, thank you everyone for joining me and we will see you next month for our podcast. Take care and God bless. Thank you.